Welcome to the Cattle Call Podcast. Uh, today we are interviewing Dr. Wendy Jackson. Wendy works for CDFA, the California Department of Agriculture, and we will we'll talk with her about her career, what she is doing right now, what she has done to get to this position. But before we call Wendy, let me go ahead and call Brooke Latek. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Enjoying the the, the weather that's getting nice oh, down yeah. here. Yes, it's getting beautiful. <laughs> yes. Is it a good time for a call, Brooke? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Great, great. So let's go ahead and call Wendy. Hello, Wendy. Hi, Pedro. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys great. doing? Perfect, perfect. It's, it's getting cooler here now. So Yeah, <laughs> same here in Davis. Yeah, that's good. So, Wendy, first, thank you very much for accepting our, our invitation. And I usually start with two simple questions that you can't miss. And those are, uh, and after that, we can talk whatever you want. But those are those questions are where you're from and what do you do today? Uh, I grew up in Southern California, specifically in Orange County, um, in the city of Lake Forest, which is south of Irvine. I did not grow up in agriculture. Um, I think the closest I had gotten to cattle prior to uh, my undergraduate studies was the beef herds that used to graze um, in some of the open land in Irvine and also at the Orange County Fair. Um, but I quickly um, found an interest in working with cattle once I uh, went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo as an undergrad animal science pre-vet major. Um, today, I am a veterinary epidemiologist, so I've had a rather circuitous path to where I've ended up today um, as a surveys and studies lead for the antimicrobial use and stewardship branch for CDFA. Uh, it's a really dynamic position that incorporates research, but also policy into guiding um, antibiotic stewardship practices in the state and also monitoring trends in um, antibiotic susceptibility across the various livestock industries in the state. So it's a, essentially a nexus of a lot of the previous work I've done, and I get to interact with um, great researchers like Pedro, um, who uh, often we work with through our research contracts with the program. Great. No, that's that's pretty good. I think we're going to touch a little bit on that later and what you do today more specifically. But now, like we know that you grew up in Southern California, Orange County, with no egg background. You kind of mentioned a little bit that you went to, to Cal Poly, to animal science background, but how or when did you decide and why did you decide to go to animal science? Were you always want to go to vet school later? How was, how was that decision uh, on going to Cal Poly and why did you go there? Is there any specific reason for that? Yeah, I think you, you nailed part of that. Um... I think early on, like a lot of people that become veterinarians, I had sort of an affinity to animals. I grew up mostly with just domestic uh, companion animals like cats and rabbits. And my twin sister and I both wanted to be veterinarians. So we went together to Cal Poly um, because they had one of the preeminent pre-vet programs um, and they were well known at sort of feeding students into the veterinary program at UC Davis because Cal Poly has their hands-on learning um, motto and students come out with a lot of practical skills, especially with regards to working with food animals um, that are definitely beneficial um, as you move into your veterinary studies. 
it was a bit intimidating, I'd say, when my sister and I arrived because we <laughs> literally didn't know anything about working with cattle. Um, but we had the benefit of some really great mentors and um, instructors that were had been in the beef industry for many years, uh, one of which was Dr. John Beckett and Mike Hall, and then also Joel Judge, who are all very well known in the beef industry now. Um, and they really provided us um, with a lot of guidance and opportunities through um, enterprise projects um, that allow students to manage herds of cattle. So I was involved in managing a first calf heifer enterprise project where we would go out in the middle of the night and ensure calvings were going normal. Uh, also helped co-manage the Escuela Enterprise Project, which is a cow-calf operation just north of um, San Luis Obispo, and then also a stalker cattle um, enterprise at Swanton Pacific Ranch that overlooks the Pacific uh, Ocean north of Santa Cruz. That ranch, unfortunately, you may have heard, um, burned, I think, last year in the fire. So they have plans to rebuild, but it was um, a huge loss for the campus because it's a really important location for a lot of different learning experiences for students in the Cal State system. Wow. That, I, I didn't, I, I've heard about it, but I didn't know that was that, that bad, the fire for, for the campus also. Uh, so when it, one, one interesting thing about your career is that you didn't, even though you, I think you planned to go to vet school, you didn't go straight from undergrad to vet school, right? You had, a path you did a master's degree and how was how how was that like you you and and t tell us more about your master's why you decided to do a master's before going to vet school and mm -hmm. and how how was that path well i when i was in undergrad i moved um, to germany for a year to do a study abroad program And halfway through the year, I moved to an agriculture school called the University of Hohenheim, um, which is outside of Stuttgart in southern Germany. And it's a world-renowned agriculture school. And there I got to meet a lot of different students from other countries who are studying um, animal agriculture in the tropics and subtropics and international development. And I think it just opened my eyes to the possibility of other aspects of animal science outside of you know, preparation for vet school that um, I was definitely interested in, um, especially, you know, the topic of cattle production across different landscapes was really interesting. And so when I returned from my final year at Cal Poly, um, Dr. Beckett had created another type of experimental course that was more oriented towards like international animal agriculture. And having just traveled a bunch and really seeing the intersection about um, of my interest in, uh, you know, cattle production, um, international development, I wanted to, to pursue more research oriented topics. And um, I was put into communication with Dr. Frank Mitloner, um, who happens to be from Germany, and maybe that was our initial connection. <laughs> But I um, really appreciated the um, burgeoning topic of um, sort of air quality related to dairy production in the state and ways to evaluate um, the environmental aspects of our different intensive livestock production systems um, so that we can address issues that will make them more sustainable moving forward. So I ended up being accepted into the master's program at Davis after working for a year as a veterinary technician 
And then I worked with Frank on a lot of the early um, projects that we had um, in collaboration with Berkeley about um, monitoring real-time greenhouse gas emissions from dairy cattle under con control conditions. And then for my actual master's project, I was looking at uh, different levels of crude protein and the impact on um, ammonia emissions from dairy heifers and his uh, so-called bio bubbles, which have a directional airflow and we can um, measure ammonia emissions with the sort of like wet chemistry setup. So it was really great because I got to use my applied knowledge of working with cattle, but also um, bring into that knowledge base um, how cattle can potentially affect um, different emissions that we all know and care about today um, in ways that we can try and mitigate those mo moving forward. That's pretty cool. So you probably were one of the first students to work on the bubbles. I don't know if they were there. For I think I was the third, but yes, they were very new. And I got to learn how to clean them out with, um, <laughs> what are the small front loader you know, the ones, they skid bobcat, steers. a bobcat. bobcat. Yes. Yeah. We had to clean those out and then mixing feed in the hot summer at the feed mill on campus and then learning to drive a tractor, all important life skills. <laughs> they are spe <laughs> especially for a grad student. <laughs> no, that's good. But one thing that I, I took note here, and that's very interesting. I didn't know that you mentioned like we've, we've had a couple of meetings and conversations and I really like this opportunity to talk with people because there's always something that we don't know when we are having this conversation here. But I didn't know about this experience in, in German. Uh, can you tell, I mean, we've had some of our guests that went to Russia. Uh, Brooke said she went just for a week to Netherlands, right, Brooke, when you were mm -hmm. uh, in your master's. Mm -hmm. So how, how was that experience just going abroad and, and living outside of the country? And how much do you think that? Uh, that gave you back? Like how much you think that, that returns to you later on in your life? Well, it's a very important question because in my opinion, it completely redirected me in my life and my interests. Um, I think as you well know, having lived in the U.S. and being from Brazil, <laughs> being sort of an outsider and like makes you feel very vulnerable, I think, at first when you're living abroad um, because you're trying to get used to this new culture and you're not very familiar with the language quite yet. And there's just nuances that are lost on you. because <laughs> <laughs> They're lost in translation. Um, but I, I established some really close friends. One of my best friends, uh, she's French and she worked with beef cattle and we met on our first day of class. Cause I had no idea uh, what the teacher was speaking. Cause he was <laughs> speaking in a German dialect called Schwabisch. And it, I was like at a loss and she was too, but um, over that confusion, we bonded and we're still friends to this day. But I think it just made me more aware of the different issues um, going on in the world, especially with animal agriculture and um, how those issues vary from country to country. But it also just gave me, I'd say, a, a better perspective on the important of importance of like global connection and understanding other countries' perspectives and approaches to agriculture and different aspects of culture that um, really stimulated me into wanting to go into um, 
the research that I've conducted, but then also I've traveled extensively since that point. Cause I, you also get past this threshold of fear in terms of like what you can and can't do as an outsider and living in a foreign country. And I think once you get past that, you feel like the world is your oyster. And so I've lived and I can go over that later. I've also done work in India for six months. And then I lived also in the Netherlands for six months. That's, that's pretty cool. So the one other question, do, do you speak Dutch or you learn? To- <laughs> <laughs> I know, which is please and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. So just because you mentioned that and, and before we, we move on a little bit, how, how was living in India? How was that experience also? What, what uh, India was, yeah, I mean, India, it, it's almost shocking how different things are when you first arrive. And that, that project I, or, I organized with Dr. Peter Robinson at the Animal Science Department and Jim Fadel, because I was interested in potentially going into ruminant nutrition and a PhD. So um, there was an opportunity to look at using rice straw, which is obviously a huge byproduct low quality byproduct feed that's um, abundant also in California as it is in India and looking at ways to adjust the concentrate portion of diets to make it better utilized. So I did an in vitro fermentation study, 24 hour metabolism study where I collected all of the feces and urine. And then I did proximate analysis. Um, there is obviously some hiccups. I was at the, an agriculture school in Bangalore, India, which is um, in the south, and they had issues with power outages, outages related to the monsoon season. Um, so we had to be sort of inventive and in shuffling samples around um, to make sure things didn't get ruined during those outages. But I had a great, um, great lab mates who really helped me out in the field because it was a very intensive project. Um, but overall, I loved it. I've been back to India four or five other times since then. I think you, you learn so much being in that culture. It's such a dynamic um, place to live, the smells, the colors, um, the religion. Uh, it's just a really unique environment that's quite different from the U.S. and something that I really grew to love. That's nice. That's that's pretty cool. So you did that after you finished your master's. Uh, mm-hmm. How how was that gap between finishing the master's and and starting a PhD and going to vet school? So there was um, <laughs> a rather large gap. Um, so I so I finished the project in India in June. Came back. I think I presented at ADSA, and then I started vet school in September. And so I applied to vet school while I was living in the Netherlands and I did my interview at midnight while living in India because of the time differences. And I was, I was sort of on the fence retrospectively in terms of whether or not I wanted to go to vet school, if I wanted to do a PhD in ruminant nutrition, ultimately I got into Davis vet school on my first round. So I felt like it was a sign that I should pursue it. Um, and so I, I jumped into that and essentially studied in the mixed animal track. So I took courses in both companion animal medicine and then food animal medicine and a few in equine, but equine was never my strong suit. Um, and then took many opportunities during those four years to do, um, externships in the summer with food animal clinicians actually returned to Germany 
for one rotation um, and got to see the differences in how veterinarians practice um, there versus here. And then also did a public health externship in Chile and finally one with Vets Without Borders in Liberia. Um, So it was a diverse experience and one that I sort of catered to my interests um, and had to convince some of my professors and mentors in vet school to approve, but really, I think were beneficial to my learning process overall. That's that's nice. So that that first travel experience to Germany really opened your eyes for all over the the world. You've been like in many different places. That's that's pretty cool. I'd say there's a, some wanderlust that continues to today, just limit to time and funds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so, uh, when, so what about your PhD? You did your PhD after vet school or while you were no, in vet school? No, I, <laughs> I yeah. went into practice right after vet school. One, mm-hmm. because I um, had the desire to really sort of cement my clinical skills and and practical knowledge um, by being in in clinical practice. And so I worked in Mendocino County for three years um, in a small animal practice Um, on occasion, got the opportunity to do some pig surgeries, um, but those were pretty rare. Um, But I did eventually miss, you know, the being outside working with cattle um, and especially the dynamic nature of research where you get to sort of pursue research questions and, and answer or find solutions to problems that exist within veterinary medicine. So after three years, I applied to the MPVM program at Davis, which is a master's in preventative veterinary medicine. It's a two, one to two year program oriented towards veterinary professionals to um, solidify skills in epidemiology Um, disease surveillance, risk assessment, um, to apply to populations um, such as cattle, pigs, poultry. Um, And so a year into that program, or halfway into the first year of the program, I realized how close I was to just being done with a PhD in epidemiology. So I applied to the PhD program, was accepted, and transitioned into that program my second year and just had a few courses to complete before moving into the research aspect of my PhD. So it was, I would say epidemiology was a, it was surprising to me looking back on my interest in vet school. We had only like a couple weeks of epi um, during our curriculum um, that that then became my focus in my PhD. But what I really enjoyed about it is that I could incorporate all of my previous production and vet med knowledge into uh, what I did with my applied studies by being able to evaluate different risk factors and looking for patterns for disease um, in different populations and how to reduce that. So it was a good, a good way to in- incorporate my different interests. Um, even though it wasn't all ruminant nutrition, it was still pretty interesting. That's pretty nice. That's a, a double doctor path, uh, <laughs> I would say. That's nice. So that was a long, let's say, long, like long time studying. Uh, yes. you, you, we've joked about it uh, that you you've passed half of your life studying. But that, <laughs> pretty much. Can, can you tell us uh, more about your current job? So, like, yeah. you finish you finish what last year your PhD, and we are going to talk about more about that project in our next episode. But can you 
can you tell us how was going to CDFA and what you're doing? What is the your favorite part of your job? I know you you haven't been there for for long, but what what do you like to do there? And mm -hmm. if you have anything that you you think that wasn't like you were expecting, uh, that you don't really love to do, we we are here <laughs> to, to listen. So, what do you do, and what is your what is your favorite thing to do in, in your current job? Yeah, thanks. Um, so, I started working um, as a veterinarian specialist. Um, my specialty being epidemiology, um, as the surveys and studies lead for the antimicrobial use and stewardship program for CDFA in May of 2021. Um, part of the year while I was finishing my PhD, um, I also worked as a veterinary diagnostician at CAVS, which is the California Animal Health and Food Safety Lab at Davis that also has branches in Tulare, Turlock, and San Bernardino. Um, and the lab has um, a unique setup in that it's operated through the School of Vet Med, but um, the funding comes from, this, from CDFA. And so I was familiar with the OS program through the relationship that CAVS had with them. Um, and there was an individual, a bacteriologist that um, essentially works for CAVS, but also um, partners with us to do a lot of our susceptibility testing that is related to research contracts at UC Davis and other programs. Um, and so when the position opened up um, in, I think actually around the time I graduated, um, I hesitated to apply right off the bat because I had just renewed a contract with CAVS, but eventually decided to apply because the um, objectives and focus of the position was very much in line with uh, my interests and what I had focused on in my own dissertation, um, which is looking at antimicrobial susceptibility trends in different livestock industries, and then also working with researchers um, like Pedro to um, potentially develop projects uh, looking at uh, different feed and diet related interventions um, that can be implemented to potentially uh, reduce resistance um, or resistomes that we're monitoring feces. Um, and so there's a lot of dynamic aspects to the position. Um, one, I get to still remain, you know, in the research arena by re reading a lot of the current literature on the topics of AMR. Um, the nice aspect is that although I, I definitely love working with cattle, this position uh, mandates that we um, set up surveys and also coordinate studies with research contractors across all industries related to food animals. So recently uh, we've worked with a student in animal science to complete an aquaculture survey um, that will be, uh, I think he'll start um, conducting that survey in the next couple of weeks. But um, so I'm learning a lot about other industries that I didn't necessarily have a focus on prior to this point. Um, other great aspects are that our team has taken on some more primary projects where we are the ones to do the sampling. Um, and one project we just completed um, is to help develop antibiograms um, for sheep respiratory disease. Um, and then CAVS is also working on potentially developing antibiograms that veterinarians um, in practice could request. And what those are, are essentially cumulative susceptibility um, testing tables so that um, producers have a guide for empiric ther therapy related to antibiotic usage in different species. 
Um, the ones that we've developed so far are primarily for respiratory disease and cattle and then sheep, as I mentioned. So in the future, we may be able to do more and more work on our own, but right now we enjoy the opportunity to foster collaborative relationships with producers and stakeholders um, like the researchers at UC Davis, Chico, Cal Poly, the different state schools um, as well across uh, California. And I think another great aspect is I have a really good team, a lot of um, enthusiasm for this topic and skill set related to infectious disease. There's three other epidemiologists on my team. And then on the stewardship side, we have two veterinary, three veterinarians who utilize the data collected through some of our studies um, to develop best management practices and guidelines um, to promote the judicious use of antibiotics um, in livestock. That's pretty cool. It seems like a lot of things. I'm, I'm glad that you, you actually even touched a little bit explaining that because I, that I was going to ask what, what, what were you doing and you, you already answered my, my question. <laughs> like, to, to, well, to and some, something I didn't mention is this program is the only one in the, in the U.S. Um, that is actively funded and um, moder monitoring these trends in susceptibility um, and it's really important. I mean, California is such a critical player in um, agricultural production, especially animal ag, um, that it's good that we're trying to get in front of this topic, one, for the sustainability of antibiotic usage within these industries, but also um, to minimize our usage as much as possible uh, because we see the consequence of what AMR um, impacts there are in human health and the public perception of antibiotic usage in livestock. Um, is off, all, always a concern as well. That's awesome, and yeah, it's it seems like a, a lot of work work for a person who just started. But we we also appreciate that that CDFA have you there, and and now we we are starting to do some some work together. So it, it seems like you you've been busy. <laughs> Thanks, I have, <laughs> but that's good. So Wendy, just to to our, our last round of questions now. And, and those are questions that we we just asked to get to know more, more about you. Are usually like very quick questions before we finish. Uh, and But before that, I just remember one thing and I, I will always like to ask that before we go to the last round. And that's because you've mentioned that. We, I, always, I usually like to ask our guests to talk about the role of their mentors in their career. And, and you mentioned a little bit at the beginning when you arrived at Cal Poly, you had good mentors, good instructors. How, how was that for you in your career? How much you, you give credits to your mentor? Or is there any advice that you can give to people to seek for mentors that are going to, a lot, a lot of our listeners are people who are going to grad school or, or are in grad school right now. How important was that for you? Uh, I think it was probably the number one reason that I decided to continue on in, you know, my work with cattle and also to pursue research. Um, as I mentioned before, Dr. John Beckett, um, who is now a feedlot nutritionist, was one of my first beef production instructors at Cal Poly. Um, he was very motivated um, in teaching and um, developing new coursework to engage students 
And I think just the camaraderie that we all developed through our enterprise projects that these faculty would oversee allowed us to get to know one another outside of the school environment while we're working cattle. And it's just a different type of relationship than one that you may have the opportunity to develop when you only see a person in a classroom. Um, but essentially that relationship has been 20 plus years and was a huge part in my um, developing the ideas for my PhD dissertation. But I think along the way, there has always been someone who stood out or uh, provided insight into things that really opened my eyes to other possibilities. In vet school, Dr. Munash Chigirway was one of those individuals, and he also um, later served on my PhD dissertation. Frank Mitloner obviously was um, a great mentor who um, had so much to offer with regards to research ideas and really um, starting this important discussion about greenhouse gas emissions and um, the role of cars versus cattle in smog forming gases that is such an important topic today. So um, yeah, I would say it's, it's not that I sought out a mentor so much as I learned that I could understand and learn so much more by having those relationships with um, faculty members. And they, I think, just steered me in ways that I might not have known the path to um, in, in the research that I ended up pursuing. So just keep an eye out for people, um, meet and get to know the different faculty that are in your department, sit down with them, ask them questions. And I think, you know, there's obviously a, a wide spectrum of mentorship and some people are better mentors than others. And you, you will likely come to learn who those better mentors are by just talking to people and, and hearing about their mentorship experiences through other students in your program as well. That's pretty good. That's nice. I, I always like to, to ask that because uh, we we often hear good things about that. And I think it's, like you said, it's probably one of the first thing, if not the first that, that we have when we are going to start in your career, at least. And I think always, not, not only starting, I think always it, Having a mentor is, is important. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so Wendy, let's let's go to our last round here, and those are quick questions, just so we know more about about you and and our first questions. And we've had almost a unanimous the answer for this question, but I want to to hear uh, what is your what is your favorite food? Uh, definitely Mexican food, <laughs> and <laughs> like crispy tacos. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, breakfast burritos. No. <laughs> um, yeah, Mexican food's always my go-to. Wow. That how many brooks so far? I think all of them. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably like probably 90% or not a hundred, I don't know, of people who very, very close to a hundred. Yeah. I, I I believe it. Yeah, that's that's definitely really, really good food. So uh second question. What is your favorite type of song or what type of song does this play in your, in your radio? <laughs> I have very eclectic mu uh, music tastes. Uh, <laughs> I would say right now, if I have to turn the radio on and drive somewhere and I need to be like yeah. it to be upbeat, I listen to reggaeton. 
<laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that actually wakes you up. That's that's. But I, um, I mean, I like dance music. If I want to study, I like bluegrass. But right now, I've been listening to a lot of reggaeton. I think Ooh. it just it's more popular now, so it's it like you hear it more on the radio. Mm -hmm. That's so, nice. That might so, be a unique response. <laughs> that, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> but that's the one that that's always been around. We don't have a a unique answer for that. Uh, but uh, the the last question is: if you could, let's say, go back in time, right when you were starting uh, undergrad. Mm -hmm. What is something that you know today that you would like to know back then? Um, that's a good question. I think to internalize what student debt will do in terms of like your financial future and planning as much as possible to, to, to deal with it while you're accruing it or to have a very concrete plan how to pay it back. Um, as you know, Tuition for college is expensive and it's even more expensive for professional school. I think for Davis, tuition's over $30,000 a year and that's excluding living costs. So um, student debt's something that creates a lot of anxiety, especially um, with the other stressors in the veterinary field. There's, as you've probably heard, a, a high suicide rate because um, of you know, practicing mm -hmm. vet med isn't like it used to be. There's a lot of social media oriented attacks and judgment. So it's not just you practicing medicine, but it's all these other opinions weighing in. So I think managing that, those other stressors as best as you can um, and having a plan is very useful. Thankfully, um, my husband and I have put together a plan and I'm only a few months away from paying off my vet school debt, but it means that I literally have... <laughs> <laughs> a very low uh, balance every month um, after I've paid off all of my loan statements, but Thanks. it will then be, I'll be free of that for the rest of my career, which I'm looking forward to. Wow. I can see that. And that's important. That's very, very important yeah. uh, to know. Uh, those are all very, very nice uh, answers, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Our last, the last thing that we, we like to ask is we have our kettle called top tip, which is usually we ask our guests to recommend uh, something that it, they would like to leave our listeners with. We've had suggestions of research papers. We've had suggestions of documentaries, TV, or we've had suggestions of book. Is there anything that you would like to, to give as a tip to our listeners that they can go and, and watch and listen or read? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll give a plug for Dr. Mitloner's Clear Center in terms of their um, sort of unbiased approach to messaging on different topics related to animal agriculture and uh, livestock production. But I think, you know, for anyone who's not involved with agriculture, um, I think I have a fairly unique perspective in seeing both sides of the line with regards to concerns over livestock production, one having come from a non-ag background and understanding consumers' concerns, but then also choosing to get into and remain in agriculture because um, I really respect and understand um, the reasons why producers um, do what they do, the difficulty and hard work that are put into it, their extreme amount of knowledge, um, but they obviously have concerns just like the rest of us about um, the sustainability of production, the impact of climate, and then obviously antibiotic susceptibility. If they can't 
effectively use antibiotics to treat common diseases, then they're at a loss just as much as human medicine is. Um, but I think just trying to be aware and informing oneself um, of these important topics. And then if you don't feel like you understand the whole picture, reaching out to researchers like myself or someone in the industry to try and understand a little bit better. So you have an informed perspective on the topic versus just reading memes or other things that might be floating through social media. That's important. Very, very important tip. And just last but not least, how can our listeners reach out to you and, and follow your work or CDFA works? Is there any social media webpage, your email, something that you would like to share if they want to get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, my my personal emails through CDFA is fine, which is Wendy, W-E-N-D-I dot Jackson at cdfa.ca.gov is always great. Um, and then my program has um, extensive materials um, on the CDFA Animal Health Food Safety Services OSS website. So if you just uh, Google uh, CDFA OSS, A-U-S, you'll come upon that webpage and you can search around to see the ongoing work that we have and as well as some of the past um, tools we've developed for stewardship. So very comprehensive information and would love to talk about it um, if you have any other questions. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, Wendy. Uh, we will put all of this information in the description of, of the episode. And thank you again for listening to our podcast. If you have questions, suggestions, comments, please send an email to kettlecallucd at gmail.com. Kettlecall with only one L after call. Uh, and we'll be happy to to put in touch with Wendy or also to answer your questions if, if we can. So stay t- in touch, stay tuned, because next uh, week we'll be talking with Wendy about uh, some research projects that she did during her PhD. Uh, I would like to thank you, Wendy, again for joining our podcast. And it's been fun. We, we learned a lot about you and you gave a lot of uh, nice information to us today. So thank you very much. Thank you, Brooke, once again. And don't forget, it's always a good time for a cattle call.